Isn't it great to uh, have the kids with us in here? Huh? Yeah. Hey, if you happen to have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open it up to the uh, Gospel according to John, the seventh chapter. There's also a little outline in your worship folder that you can uh, follow along with. Good to be uh, with you. Uh, for the first, what, year or so, I had the privilege of being over here every other week, and uh, now I just uh, show up every once in a while. Um, or as they say in Zimbabwe, pitch up. You pitch up every once in a while. It means to show up, okay? And uh, so glad, glad that uh, I could be here with you this, this Sunday. Um, I need to tell you a little story here as, as we uh, begin this morning. Uh, you got this thing on here? Is it? Okay, I'm clicking. But, uh, oh, it, it shows up here, but it doesn't show up on my monitor. You got it down here? These monitors on? All right. Now, they would, that'd be helpful to me. Otherwise, I'll have to have you someone else click it, click for me. Yeah, while it's coming on, I'll, I'll uh, tell you a little story here. There was a, a busload of uh, politicians, and they were traveling in the countryside. And uh, they ran into a big tree and uh, crashed. So there was an old farmer there. And he happened to come out and he saw this busload of, of politicians. You know, they'd crashed in the tree. So he took them all and he buried them. And a few days later, the old sheriff, he came out and he uh, saw the, the, uh, the bus and so forth there. And he said, well, what happened to all the politicians? And he said, well, I, I buried them. And the sheriff said, well, were they all dead? And the old farmer looked at me and said, well, some of them said they weren't, but you can't believe those politicians, you know. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I'm certainly glad I'm finished with all of those uh, politician ads that were on the, uh, the TV and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the, the, the thing is, who are you going to believe? People make campaign promises and so forth. Uh, according to the Harris Interactive Survey taken at the end of October, it was found that few in the United States of America regard politicians in a high manner. 81% said that federal government needs better moral leadership. 57% of Americans said most politicians would take a bribe if they knew they could get away with it. And only 19% of Americans think that most politicians are honest. <laughs> now, I don't know, you know where you stand in, in all of this, but have you ever had a hard time believing somebody? Who are you going to believe? That's my title this morning. Now, some people say, well, you know what? It's not a big deal about who you believe. And what you believe this, this day and age in which we live in. Truth is just kind of relative, you know. And uh, believe what you want to believe. It's okay for you. It's okay for me. It's, it's no big deal. Well, it was a big deal to Jesus. Throughout the Gospel of John, truth is something that was critical and important to Him. I was at the airport for 12 hours a week ago uh, Saturday and uh, 
All I saw on the screens for 12 hours, I mean, I wasn't watching it all the time, but I was on my computer doing some work, preparing for a message last week that I had at Valley and uh, so forth. And, but, but I saw all these images, all these pictures and so forth of the fire down there in the Los Angeles area. But you know what? That's just a little thing as compared to what's going to happen to planet Earth. Jesus said in John chapter 8, unless you believe that I am He, the Messiah, you will die in your sins. What's it like to die in your sins? What's it like to be separated from God eternally? What is this world coming to anyway? It's coming, my friends, to an end. I believe these words. Listen to what it says in Second Peter. You don't need to turn here. You should have your finger there in John chapter 7. It says this, By God's word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. They are kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. In other words, time is different to God than it is to you and to me. And the Lord is not slow about His promise. So the promise is is that Jesus, God, is going to destroy the present heaven and earth as you and I know it with fire. As some counsel on us, but He's patient toward us. Aren't you marvel at God's patience with you? With me? He's not wishing for any to perish. That means to suffer a, a violent death. Like 9-11, when 3,000-something people perished that day. But He's patient toward us, not wishing for any to perish, all to come to repentance, to have a change, an interchange that we're talking about here. Now, man throughout human history has had this placed within him desire to know truth, this desire in reality to know God. Uh, it says that, that He has placed eternity in your heart and in my heart. And so wherever you go throughout the world, whether you go to, to tribes where I've been in, in in Zimbabwe where they beat away the evil spirits at night and so forth with their drums, they, they seek, they grope. For God, they, they want to know who it is that made all of this. They want to know what is the purpose of life. Who am I? Why am I here? What happens when I die? And so the heart and the longing of the Lord Jesus is to make Himself known. And that's why the Gospel of John was written. So that you would believe, not just head knowledge, but hear that Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life, not physical life, not bios, but zoe, real abundant life. That's what He wants for you. That's what He wants 
uh, for me as well. Now, I want you this morning to see Jesus. There were some Greeks. In a few weeks, you're going to get to John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, there are these Greeks that come and they, they, they ask, he says, Sir, we want to see Jesus. And so they came and they expressed this to Philip. And Philip goes then to Jesus and he says, Hey, these, these Greeks want to see you. And then Jesus talks about right there. You really want to see me? Well, I'm going to be lifted up. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And he talks about the cross. He talks about the fact that his hour has now come. And so this morning, we want to take a look at the Lord Jesus. And in John chapter 7, he's the teacher. He's the teacher at the feast. He's gone up. And I think as uh, Ben shared with you last uh, Sunday from verses, um, maybe from verse 10 on down through verse 24, um, I'm picking up right there. So if you'd follow along with me as I read from verse 25 down through verse 36. It's not an easy passage um, just to kind of cut in in the middle of, but, but we'll do the best we can here this morning. Verse 25, John chapter 7. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, Is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? And look, he's speaking publicly and they are saying nothing to him. The rulers do not know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man, that is Jesus, is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Now, Jesus heard this and look at verse 28. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from. I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to seize him. And no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore, Jesus said, For a little while longer, I'm with you, and then I go to him who sent me. If you seek me, you will not fi- and will, will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews then said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He is not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is this statement that he said? You will seek me and will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. And so we want to see this morning, first of all, Jesus as the truth. The word truth is important in the teachings of John. 
John wrote the Gospel of John and he also wrote three little epistles. And if you put all those together, John mentions the word truth 42 times. It's critical to him. The word truth means fact, exactness, legitimacy. And then you get to chapter 14, he's going to say, I am the truth. In other words, I am the real reality. And so Jesus is teaching the truth. Now, as you study the words of Jesus in the Gospels, you find him saying things about false teachers. There are true teachers and there are false teachers. And last week when Ben talked about the fact that, uh, well, they accused Jesus of having a demon. Remember? He had this demon, they said, because he healed a man on the Sabbath. And so Jesus used, as the teacher, he uses wisdom and logic, and he, he explains this to him. Hey, listen, you've got a son, you're a Jew, he's born, eight days later, you have to circumcise him. That's the Jewish law. And so children are born Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Well, some of them, after eight days, it's going to fall on the Sabbath. And so, Jewish law, you have to circumcise on the Sabbath day. And so they did, which in a sense was a work. And so Jesus uses this parallel. He says, hey, look, it. you circumcised on the Sabbath, and here I am. I make a man well. This man, remember from John chapter 5, was 38 years in his sickness. He couldn't walk. And Jesus says, take up your pallet and walk. And he begins to walk. And he says, you circumcise on the eighth day. I make one man healthy. And you think I've got a demon. He says, think about it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so Jesus is teaching the truth and what he does just prior to this passage is that he exposes the heart of man. He exposes the heart of the Pharisees. He exposes the heart of the scribes. And actually, he exposes your heart and my heart. You see, if you want to know Jesus as the truth, you first of all have to know the truth about yourself. And uh, the truth about ourselves is not so grand and not so glorious. When our Lord was talking to the religious leaders, you know what they were fond of doing? They were very, very fond of putting all kinds of rules and laws upon the people. And so Jesus exposes all that rubbish. And in Luke chapter, I think it's... Um, what do I have it down here? Luke chapter 17. He, he has a cup. And he says, you know what you Pharisees and scribes do? You clean the outside of the cup so that it looks real nice. It, it's kind of like coming to church on a Sunday. You know, you can put on whatever it might be. It's clean. It's appropriate. It looks nice and so forth. And here we are and we put our smiles on and we, we sing songs and so forth like that. But what's inside? What's going on in here? What's happening when, when God looks at your heart and my heart? What's inside? So what he's really after 
God is, is inner righteousness. Not some outward display, not just a bunch of rule keeping and so forth. That's what he had talked about here just prior to this. He's talking about the inner man, about you and about me. So if you really want to know the truth, you have to depart from outward righteousness to inner integrity. You have to live the truth. You have to know the truth. You have to see Jesus as it. And then you need to begin to live it out in your life and my life. And so you need to depart from self-righteousness and pride and know the truth about yourself that in you there dwelleth nothing good. Secondly, you, you need to, to depart from um, uh, self from judgmentalism. Now, look, if you would, back just a verse at verse 24 of this chapter. Jesus says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. They were judging Him because He healed this particular man. He says, Hey, listen, you got it all wrong. You've, you've, in a sense, uh, you've changed all the price tags. What's important to me is the heart. What you all have done is put rules and heavy loads on people and, and, and you judge. Now, I don't know who you voted for on the 4th of November and it, I really don't care who you voted for. But let's say that I voted for Obama and I voted no on Proposition 8. You wouldn't judge me, would you? You wouldn't walk out of here, would you? You wouldn't say, well, from now on, if Miller voted against Proposition 8, well, there is, uh, there's no way I'm listening to anything. I'll sit through the message. I'll be polite and so forth. But you know, it's easy for us to judge and we're pretty good at it. Those of you that are married, you know how it is, isn't it? Huh? Yeah. In, his, um, in his, one of his books, uh, Paul Bilheimer says, one cannot become judgmental without elevating himself. And self-exaltation is the Lucifer syndrome. It comes from the pit. It comes from the one who was the most prideful. The, 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 the angel there before the earth was formed who wanted to be like God Himself. And so it was pride. And when you and I judge, that's exactly what we do. And that's exactly what the people were doing. Oh, we, we don't know where He's from when Messiah comes. They should have known where He was from. If they would have searched the Scriptures, they would have known where He was from, the religious leaders and others. They would have known that He is who He said He was. You both know Me and you know where I am from. They said, oh, we don't know where you're from. So if you want to see Jesus as the truth, you need to... To, to know the truth about yourself. And you also need to know the truth about the enemy. The truth about Satan. In John 8, 24, 
uh, 44. Keep your finger here in John 7. I don't have to turn the page for me, but maybe you do. Look at verse 44 of John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, which you'll get to here in a couple of weeks' time, there's this dialogue that goes back between the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and they say, uh, uh, we're Abraham's children. And Jesus says, well, if you're Abraham's children, then do the deeds of Abraham. Believe. Um, then he talks about the fact, if you well, looks at verse 44. He says, he, he puts it very, very bluntly after a, some dialogue going on, you are of your father, the devil. Now, isn't that a nice way to make friends? They're claiming that they were followers of Abraham. He says, no, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Now, notice what he says. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. We're talking about truth. Who do you believe? What do you believe? Because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. My wife, uh, Patty, has a book called Lies That Women Believe. Uh, you could write another book, say, The Lies That Men Believe or The Lies That The Human Race Believes. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. If you look at these verses here, in verse 25, they, they want to kill him. In verse, 20, in verse 30, it says they were seeking to seize him. In verse 32, they were seeking to seize him again. They couldn't stand the truth. They wanted to take Jesus. They wanted to kill Him. But His hour had not yet come and so He slipped away. You know that you're in a real battle. I got an email about uh, two months ago from a friend of ours in Zimbabwe and uh, a little girl, nine years old, by the name of Courtney. And uh, this was friends of a gal named Jeanette Landry. And she sent us this email saying, would you please pray for Courtney? Courtney was with uh, a couple of maids who were going to clean uh, uh, a little cottage. And the cottage was surrounded by a big fence because they've been having problems with war veterans and so forth. And so they, they had a couple of, they owned some kind of a game park and they put a couple of lions there, a female lion and a male lion. So this little nine-year-old Courtney went over to help the maids clean out this cottage. And uh, she was just, uh, as they were cleaning, she was just watching and so forth. And all the, the windows had burglar bars on them, as they do in Zimbabwe. And a lioness reached through the burglar bars with one paw and pulled this little nine-year-old Courtney right through the burglar bars. Uh, they went outside when the maids hit the thing with a stick and then uh, the little girl, Courtney, ran. She ran to a gate. The gate was locked. And when she ran back to the house, a male lion grabbed her. And uh, then they started beating on this one. Finally, they, they got her away from the lion. Uh, they airlifted her to Harare. 
the hospitals in Zimbabwe now are not functioning. Uh, they didn't have any medical care there. They had to take her to uh, Johannesburg. And this was the, uh, the picture that they sent me of this little nine-year-old Courtney. Next Sunday at Valley, I preach on this passage from 1 Peter chapter 5. One of the verses is this. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, I've seen lions in my many trips to Africa eat animals. They devour them. You see, opposed, exact opposite of truth is lies. And the devil is a liar and the father of lies. That's why it's critical that you and I see Jesus and see the Word of God as the truth. Because he's going to say in chapter 8 that the truth will set you free. The opposite of freedom is bondage. And that's exactly what the devourer wants to do with you. He'll lie. He'll use subtlety as he did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so, my friends, I'm, I'm speaking to you frankly. You need a daily injection. You maybe had your flu shot. But you need a daily injection of truth. Because you're getting a lot of lies out there. What's coming over the internet, what you see in the television, what you see in the movies, all the different values and so forth that are supposedly way up here, they're, they're lies. There's little truth in all of that. It's a fight to the finish for you and for me. Just as it was in this encounter with Jesus with these religious leaders. They wanted to get rid of Him. They wanted to kill Him. They wanted to do anything. They couldn't stand the truth. But the heart of Jesus is for you to see Him as the truth and to know Him as the truth. The second thing that we want to look at this morning is to see Jesus as the way. You remember He says He's the way, He's the truth, and He's the life? Well, He's, he's the way. Uh, look, look at what it says here. It says, For a little while longer I am with you, and then I go to Him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. So he's talking about the fact that I've been sent by the Father. I'm going to go back to the Father. When he speaks to his own men in John chapter 14, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Thomas says to him, Lord, you know, show us the Father. It's, it's enough. <laughs> and then he says uh, to Philip, Have I been... So long with you, Philip, and yet you have not come to know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. I'm the exact representation of what God is like. And the only way that you are ever going to see the Father or have eternal life is through me. I was um, flying back to a church in, in Greensboro to speak here on the 9th of, of uh, October. Their mission conference, 60 years of global missions. They support over 200 and some missionaries. A big church, huge celebration and so forth. Well, in my journeys, I, I happen to sit next to a lot of people. 
uh, I shared with Jonathan for I don't know how long. A gal, a guy across the way from me had a little baby, a year old Ted. And then I shared on a flight from Greensboro to Atlanta, uh, a woman, Margaret, for the whole trip. It's not a long trip, only about an hour or so. And, and then I shared with a, a, a lady in her, probably about her 70s named Jean. I was reading my Bible and, and uh, we got in a conversation after about 15 minutes or so. I like to talk. And um, we just got back and forth and so forth. And, and uh, I, she said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor and I'm president of an organization called Hands of Hope. Da, 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 da. I, said, I said, after a while, I said, uh, Jean, do you have any religious background? She says, oh, yeah, I'm such and such. And I says, oh, okay. Um, but she says, you know what? I believe that all roads lead to God. Now, I knew the, the church that she went to, and I says, well, listen. Uh, you go to church, right? Oh, yes, every Sunday. Well, I said, when you go to church, you hear a gospel reading every Sunday, and you hear an epistle reading every Sunday. And I flipped my Bible just to John 14:6. And I said, Gene, look at this verse for just a second. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, you go to church every Sunday and you hear the words of Jesus read. These are true words, Gene. I've traveled in all kinds of countries. I've talked to Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and humanists and atheists and so forth. Jesus is quite clear. There, there's not a bunch of roads. And I'm sure glad there is, otherwise I'd never find it. There's only one way. And that's through Christ. He's the only way to the Father. And so, see, he is, He's the way to intimacy with God. You cannot have intimacy with God apart from Jesus Christ. Just knowing about God isn't enough. And so He's the way to the Father. He's the way to transformation. He's the, he's the real way to change <laughs> in your life and my life. The new government that's coming in, it's all about change. Will there be change? There will be change. With every government there is change. What kind of change? You don't know, and I don't know. But I can guarantee you that if you are humble before Jesus, He will change you from the inside out. Uh, I think last week you had John 7, 17. If any man is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is from God or whether it's not. And when you get this truth in your heart, then He will change you from the inside out. You see, He is He's the way not only to transformation, He's the way to real joy. In John chapter 15, which you will get to, He says, I am the true vine as compared to false vines, and you are the branches. And if you as a branch abide in the vine, you're going to bear fruit. And... The only way you can bear fruit is to walk in obedience to the truth. And if you walk in obedience to the truth, the result in your life and my life is that there's going to be joy. Not just some happiness kind of stuff, but real inner joy. 
The joy that allows you to sing in the midst of trials and troubles and persecutions and whatever else you face. He is the way to everlasting joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the second? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You need to see Him as the way. The way for you. He is also the way of escape from the wrath that's going to come on planet Earth. Remember what John the Baptizer said? Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? There is a wrath that I read about earlier that's coming. And Jesus is the way of escape. Third, you need to see Jesus as the end. The word end literally is, is teleos. And, and I get this if you look at from, from verse 30. Look at They were seeking to seize Him and no man laid his hand on Him because His hour had not yet come. As you've already been seeing in the book of John, it talks about this. My hour's not yet come. My hour's not yet come. My hour's not yet come. And then when you get to, to John chapter 12, it says, My hour has now come. And the Son of Man is going to be lifted up as He predicts that He's going to die on a cross. And so you need to see Him as the end. The end of what? Well, the end of your struggle for righteousness. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, that Christ, not, not any other name, not Muhammad, not Confucius, not some other teacher, Christ is the end of the struggle for righteousness to everyone who believes. Man throughout human history has tried to, to be right before God. When I lived in the Philippines at Easter time, uh, th th they would flog themselves, many of the Filipinos. It's a strong, strong Catholic nation. And I go to a place called Chiapo and you will, you will see them burning incense and you will see them rubbing their handkerchiefs on the black Nazarene and every single morning. And you will see them crawling down the aisles and at Easter time they flog themselves and some have themselves crucified. Why? They need to do penance. They need to appease God. I hope you're glad that you have a God who loves you who poured out all the wrath that you deserved upon Christ when He was lifted up to die, when His hour had come to die for you and for me. Oh, what a Savior. See, He's the end of the struggle for righteousness. Do you stumble and fall? Did you this week? Hello. And so you go to Him. And you say, Lord, sorry, I'm wrong. I'm your child. I didn't da-da-da. And you confess your sins. He's faithful. But you can't be any more righteous in God's sight today than any day. He's the end of the struggle for righteousness. He's also the end of your old selfish life. Every week in our Valley um, Bulletin, I've put in there every single week one reason why Christ died. I have a little book by John Piper, uh, 50 Reasons Why Christ Died. So there's 52 weeks in the year, so we've been putting in one each week. One of them is 2 Corinthians 5.14, and it says this, Christ died 
so that you would no longer live for yourself, but for Him who died and rose again on your behalf. He did something for you that you couldn't do. He died for your sins, then He rose from the dead so that Jonathan would no longer just live for Jonathan. And Glenn would no longer just live for Glenn, but for him. See, we we look at the death of Christ and we say, well, He died for us, so I get a free ticket to heaven. Well, that's true. By grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. Not as a result of works, lest we boast about it. But He also died that you would just no longer live this old selfish lifestyle, but that you would give your life away. He's the end of the struggle for righteousness. And He will be, my friends, for you, the end of the journey. And when you die, if you know Christ, you will be welcomed by Him into eternal glory where there are pleasures forevermore. Lastly, we want to see Jesus for others. And uh, let me just share some reality facts with you. Uh, If you happen to have your Bible, turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a bunch of parables, a ton of them actually. And uh, there are several, uh, some uh, familiar endings in these parables. But I just want to read this one. See, because we need to see, if you want to see Jesus for other people, you need to see what the end is for the wicked, for the unrighteous, for those who do not know Christ. You have to have that in your mind. You have to see Jesus as their only hope. He is their only, uh, the only reality in their life. Look at verse 47 of, John, of uh, Matthew chapter 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. Most of us fish with a hook and a line. We're not used to using a net. But they were in our Lord's day, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels, notice they're ministering spirits now, but the angels when they come, when Christ comes, are not ministering spirits. They are separating the good fish from the bad fish and will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, Jesus repeats this on several occasions. And when He comes, He is going to give to everyone according to their deeds. There's the wheat, there's the tares, there's the good fish, there's the bad fish, there's the wicked, there's the righteous. And because He's a just judge, He is going to give at the end of life. And when you stand before God, He's going to give to everyone according to their deeds what you've done. He's a righteous judge. For those, if you're a Christian here today, it's not the great white throne judgment mentioned in Revelation chapter 20. You will stand before every one of us 
the judgment seat of Christ. And you will give an account for every motive, every work, every deed, every word. And you will be rewarded or whatever. Glenn may have a nice big stack, but it's going to be tested by fire. And it may all shrivel up into just a bunch of ashes. Your works are going to be tested. Well, I'm going to heaven. doesn't matter how I live. Oh, it matters how you live. He is going to give to everyone and then he is going to vindicate when Christ returns his justice. And if uh, I don't have time to get into it, but if you look at 2 Corinthians or 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it talks about what happens when Christ returns with his mighty angels. And he is going to come in flaming fire and he is going to destroy not annihilation but destroy the wicked. And they will be in everlasting torment. Their hell is a real place. It's reserved for the devil and his angels. God didn't intend for people to go there. He's not wishing for any to perish. But if you do not believe, that's what happens. You need to see Jesus for other people and introduce people to Him who is the way, the truth, and the life. Firefighters won't help you when Christ returns. Most of you do not know this man. You've probably never even heard of him before. But his name is uh, James Pollock. He was a governor, as you can see there, from 1855 to 1858. He's the one who put on our coins, if you happen to have one in God, we trust. And uh, when he was governor of the state of Pennsylvania, there was a young man in one of the counties who was arrested for murder. And he was convicted and uh, sentenced to death. And uh, the, the, the fellow who was convicted of murder, his mother thought that because James Pollock was a strong Christian, that he would pardon her son. But he did not. And just prior to this man being executed, James Pollock took a drive. Not in a Rolls Royce in those days. Remember, we're talking 1855. He took a ride down to see this man in prison. And he told the uh, guard not to say anything about him. And so he went there and he says, I wish to take you to take me to the man's cell and leave me alone for a little while and do not tell him who I am until I am gone. And the governor went to the prison and talked to the young man about his soul and told him that although he was condemned by man to be executed, God would have mercy upon him and save him if he would accept pardon from God. And he preached Christ and told him how Christ came to seek and to save sinners, having explained as best he knew the plan of salvation. He got down on his knees and he prayed. And after praying, he shook hands with him and said goodbye. Sometime after, the guard passed by the condemned man's cell and he called to the door and said, Who was that kind man who talked to me? The sheriff said, Well, that was Governor Pollock. And the man turned deathly pale. He threw up his hands and says, Was that Governor Pollock? 
Why didn't you tell me? If I'd have known he was the governor, I would have asked him for pardon. I would have pleaded for the pardon for my life. There's somebody here today who will pardon you. He's the Savior. He's the pardoner. He's the forgiver. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what your lifestyle, He is the way. He's the truth. He is the life. He's the end, can be, of your struggle to know God and to try to be right before Him. And you need to see Him for other people, for the community around NBC. Father, we thank You this morning for Your loving kindness. We thank You this morning that we can look at this passage of Scripture here that talks about You, You in dialogue with scribes and Pharisees and people who wouldn't believe who You were. And it broke your heart that they wouldn't accept the truth. That their hearts were so hard, so cold, so prideful, so filled with self-righteousness that they cleaned the outside of the cup, but inside it was full of sin. They didn't see you as the one who could satisfy that you were enough for them. That you could be the forgiver, the healer, the cleanser. We know that there's a lot of uh, things that are being thrown at us every day, at our children, at our grandchildren, at us. Most that's coming from the world is, well, it's lies. And uh, who are we going to believe? Well, we can believe you. Because you are the truth. And so thank you. If there's anybody here today who's never come to grips with their own sin, their own self-righteousness, their own pride, today could be the day where they cry out to you and would say, like the publican, Oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I believe that you died for me that when you were lifted up, your blood covered my sin. I place my faith and trust today in Jesus Christ, the living God, the Messiah, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who's coming again. So thank you.